I'm Dee Dee Brown. I'm back with my ride or die and fabulous co-host, John Gist. We are here for another fabulous and informative episode of Black on the Scene. Today, we want to welcome Ms. Keisha Center to the show. Keisha is a proud FAMU Rattler and throughout her illustrious career has built social change initiatives with brands at the highest level of entertainment, government, fashion, and philanthropy, working with such companies as Gucci, the Will and Jada Smith Family Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation, and the Clinton Global Initiative, among others. Keisha is currently the Director of Social Impact for Monkey Paw Productions, founded by Jordan Peele, where she leads the social impact strategies and campaigns that support Monkey Paw's film and television slate. Plus, she develops partnerships with organizations and communities that mobilize around the issues addressed in the company's storytelling. My girl Keisha is a person who dedicates her all to her work. She strives to seek out and inspire transformational change in all that she does and does it with so much grace, so much passion and with an amazing smile on her face at all times. I actually met Keisha last year on a project we both were working on. And we both had so much passion about this particular project. That immediately struck out to me, that passion. passion. She wanted to win and she wanted to make this project a moment. I always loved that about her. The passion was just always there. So we immediately clicked. We both had a mutual respect for each other. And through that process, we not only became colleagues, but became friends. So I'm so thrilled and honored to have her with us today. Thank you, Keisha, for joining us on Black on the Scene. Keisha, Keisha, Keisha. Keisha, Keisha, how are you doing today? Well, I mean, after that hype that y'all both gave me, I'm feeling fresh. <laughs> Thank you, John. Thank you, Dee Dee. It's a pleasure, it's an honor to start my morning with both of you all. It's an honor. It. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. So you're here, Black on the Scene. We want to have a good conversation. We want to have a fun conversation, and we're going to do it. So I wanted to start off. You went to FAMU. You're a Rattler. But I want to know who was who was Keisha Center at FAMU? Who was that girl? <laughs> you know, that is hilarious. That's, I mean, for those listening, I think so many people would have different things <laughs> to say about who Keisha was at FAM. But, you know, I think I evolved over um, my four years at FAM. And I think that's the beauty of what HBCUs allow you to do is to find yourself and discover yourself and just be free to do that. And so I'm from Kentucky. I'm from Paducah, Kentucky, and also Versailles, Kentucky, not Versailles, Versailles. And, um, um, you know, I'm from the country and I was green and I loved it. And so I remember, um, you know, as I was going throughout school, throughout my um, co collegiate career, my one of my good friends would keep a picture of me posted on his wall and he would be like, don't forget, this is Keisha from Kentucky. And I would have on like these big white country like um, shorts and this um, like picnic basket type of shirt. And it was just so fun to see, you know, that's who I was. I was the girl at FAM that my roommate, my be who's my best friend now is my freshman year roommate. Um, every time she would make an eye contact to me, I would smile at her and wave every single time in the room, in our little tiny room. And I just, and that's kind of still who I am today. I have these Southern roots and values that are, um, 
ingrained into ingrained into me where I, I love people, I'm friendly, and I think that's who I was at FAM. But you know, I did so many, so many different things. I was um 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 spring ninety-nine beta alpha aka at FAMU. I also had so many um friends that were in modeling troops and then we were part, you know, we did stuff with SGA with our student government. I was active and I had fun. And through all of that was education was important. And I went through my collegiate career where I thought I wanted to be a ball, a doctor. I was supposed right now I'm supposed to be delivering babies. Everybody on the earth should be happy that that's not where I landed. Right. You know, I was supposed to be a doctor, but then I found out through an internship and then doing an inter internship through Anathia, which is an association that really worked with effort with um, HBCU students to help them get internships and opportunities. And I did internships every single year. And I went to DC and I found out about politics. I was like, what is happening in DC? What are y'all doing on the Hill? And it was my last year before I graduated. And I told my mom, I was like, I'm going to be in politics. I was like, that's it. I don't want to be a doctor anymore. And she was like, you're going to finish this degree. Then you can figure out what you want to do. But, you know, fam allowed me to go on that journey and be with friends and to, to discover myself and to get my hands in so many different things and to be able to finally learn that, you know, who I who I was and what I wanted to be. And that was ingrained in me because my mom, my sister went to FAMU, my mother went to TSU. I grew up with a whole bunch of women that were either, quite frankly, Deltas, who were aunties that were Deltas or aunties that were AKAs. And so it was just always in me of what I got from FAM and who I went to FAM to be to become. But mom says you're finishing the degree that you started with. <laughs> How did you then transfer from the world of, of medicine to politics, what was the next progression after graduation? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and I, I love that you asked that because I'm all in when I do something. So when I was going to be a doctor, I've been wanting to be a doctor since I was a child. <laughs> and so I used to do oncology internships when I was in high school and I wrote a pamphlet about um, about going to get help, um, healthcare at your local healthcare agency. And we did it and I won an award for it in high school. And so I was really serious about it in college, but then it just wasn't moving me. And so when I graduated, I started truly hitting the ground running of like, how do I make this transition? What are politics? I've never really even taken a government class in college. And so Nafio, the organization that I told you about, I called them every other day, every other day to ask them if they had a job for me or internship. I'd wait one day, I'd give them a day and I'll call the next. And then finally the woman told me, she was like, just hire her. We gonna hire her because she's not gonna stop calling. Like she is so persistent. And I always tell young people, I was like, there's probably a thin line between persistent and a little bit too crazy. I, like, I probably danced on that too much, but they finally were like, let's give her a job. And so I um, worked for them and I helped them just be, I answered the phones, I filed, I just wanted a job in Washington DC to figure out how to be in Washington DC. And I told my mom after I graduated from FAM, I was like, I'm not coming back to Kentucky. So I'm moving to DC because I'm supposed to be in politics. I don't know what I want to find a job and we did. And so Nafia, the organization, they met this, somehow they met this really rich Irish philanthropist. And he had just, he had his daughter, who of course was Irish, had um, met, had a black girlfriend, friend, who, who never been to Ireland. And he was amazed that there was a black girl who never been to Ireland. So he created a scholarship to send African-Americans to Ireland. And I was like, well, that's so interesting that he never, that he's amazed that there's never, that someone's never been to Ireland. So they asked me to 
to submit an application to get my master's and study abroad in Ireland. And I was like, okay, I've never been to Ireland. Why not? Let's go. So I did that and I got my master's in international relations. I got, it was one of four of us and we went to Ireland and got our master's and I didn't have a place to live. I just landed in Ireland with all my luggage and I was like, let's go. And I found a place and it was this really sweet woman that let me stay in her bed and breakfast. And I went all across her bed and breakfast. I stayed on the sofa. I went, cause I was trying to find a place to live. And so like to, to answer your question, I just dove in. Once I decided I was gonna be in politics, I was like, okay, well now I've got to get a degree in international. I decided to do international relations and I got a scholarship to go to Ireland. And I just said, yes, I didn't know anything. Now, older, you know, looking back years later, I was like, maybe I would have, I definitely would have planned it differently. But it, right out of college, I just went. And um, it was the best experience in my life. I learned about politics. I learned about international politics on such a global scale. And it was inside the classroom, outside the classroom. During that time, we were going to war. It was the Iraq war. And that's where we were going. I was learning about international relations in a neutral country. Um, and seeing how the Irish were dealing with that in, my, in a different country. So it was just such a rich experience that I, I can't ever ex explain. I'm sorry, go ahead, John. No, 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 I, I, I never knew that. Like that's so, I, I never knew that about you. How long were you in, how long were you in Ireland? Um, I was in Ireland for about a year and a half. So a most half, masters wow. are about a year and come back and I finished my thesis. And so when I came back and finished my thesis, I, sat, I slept on my sister's sofa in Brooklyn to write my thesis. And at that time, because I was like, I gotta be in politics, I'm hitting the ground. I'm like filling out cold emailing people, asking them would they meet me? Um, Cause I wanted to be in, in, in politics and international relations. And I just so happened to email someone that, um, someone ended up connecting me with this, with um, someone who worked in Chuck Schumer's office. And so I sat down and I was dressed up in my little business suit with my little, it was a hot summer day in Brooklyn, in New York, in Brooklyn. I rode, up, rode the train up to Harlem, had on my little, little business suit that I'm sure my sister passed down to me. And I didn't know, cause I didn't know Harlem that well. And I, he was like, meet at Magic Johnson's. Of course he meant Starbucks. I'm in Magic Johnson's theater with a suit on and my little resume trying to have my in interview. And so, Anyway, I figured out that I needed to go to the Starbucks down the street and 125th Street, and we sat there, and I did an interview with him telling him how passionate I was, how I made this change, I was serious about it, just left Ireland, I really wanted to be in politics, I would love to work for Chuck Schumer. He called a guy immediately, and Larry Blackman, who was Larry Scott Blackman, who is actually cameo Larry Blackman's son, who worked for Chuck Schumer at that time, which is so interesting, and um, and Larry Blackman gave me an opportunity and I started working for Chuck Schumer. It was my first job in politics and I cut my teeth with Chuck Schumer and the rest, the rest is really history. You know, history. I give so much to Chuck Schumer giving an opportunity from a girl from Kentucky who knew nothing about politics and not even New York politics too, right? You know, and wow. I just serious about it. <laughs> I, I, so, so when you said I wanted to be in politics, right? Did you have any idea of what that looked like? Like what kind of politics you wanted to jump into or what you felt like your role was going to be? You just like, I want to do this being a business and just kind of figure it out. You know, at that, it's honestly, no, like now when you look back and you can see how things played out, you kind of did know what you wanted to do. But honestly, I, I would be lying if I said that I didn't. I knew what I knew is still the foundation and the common denominator for me of why I wanted to be a doctor and why I wanted to be an obstetrician gynecologist is I wanted to help people like that was that like that was the common denominator. So when I look at politics and the way in which I've navigated politics, philanthropy, entertainment, entrepreneurism, 
and social impact and all the like I've been in five to six industries now and they all have a common denominator and it really is it centers on impact and how we drive change right like at the at the core so I knew I wanted to do that and I felt like at that time like we said we started out green I'm, I'm, I'm happy I'm so excited I really felt like that's where you do it in politics and that's what you can do is how you can make a difference and so that's where I thought that I wanted to do and I wanted to do it with Chuck Schumer and I wanted to do it learning the city and learning I knew I wanted to be in New York and I knew I wanted to be with at that time you know still is today one of the most influential senators and how who and um who was driving change and it was really amazing experience so I say that and one of the key things that I will say and I don't know if we will get to it is that it all played out and it's so amazing how things end up coming full circle because one of my biggest opportunities and I'm so young like they give you you work with constituents so I worked with you they put you in different when you're first starting out in your career and like a political office especially if you're working in the state you know you have different constituents that you work with so I was working with um maybe some individuals who were incarcerated so I was reading letters and I was you know trying to see what they were talking about and, and sharing that with the center I was working with a lot of black communities and um, just working with how what the constituents needed and things of that sort. But one of the cases that I got put on was a director, Keith Bouchamp. And so Keith Bouchamp was a director for the untold story of documentary untold story of Emmett Lewis Till. And so Keith Bouchamp is, I love Keith, he lives in Brooklyn. And so he had been working on this documentary for about 10 years and he's from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And so back in 2003, 2004, he brought this documentary to Chuck Schumer and Charlie Rango, and and it landed on me, quite frankly, because it was a, a black, <laughs> it was a it was a black issue, and it landed in my lap. But look at that, it was so fantastic. And so, he sat down with Charles. So I had to organize that meeting and be at that and be at that part for um, be kind of like the 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 coordinator, the lead for that to be able to help him talk to Charlie Rangel and, and um, Senator Schumer about why this was important and why he wanted to use this art as a tool to reopen the case. And so it led to, we did a, we, we, we did an event and we had um, a movie theater, we did the screening, we organized the panel. I mean, John, this is something you and I would have planned, right? We would organize the whole panel around this. We had Cornell Rest, we had Chuck Schumer, we had Rangel, everybody was speaking, all the who's who of New York, like elite type of, Thought thinker, um, thought leaders were there, and this they took this, and Charlie Rangel and Chuck Schumer pushed the DOJ to reopen this this fifty year old case, and that and and that's what that art and Keith's life work to do that. And so you know I didn't know that then, like my first job out of college, but to me those were seeds that were being planted. And look at that, what in twenty sixteen I think President Obama signed in the bill, the Emmett Till bill that. Um, reopens old civil rights cases. And that was something that, 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 you know, a seed that Keith planted and what art ends up doing. And so like now that, so I didn't know what I was actually wanting to do when I started off with politics, but I, but what I am able to see now 20 years into this is that all of those industries that I've done, that politics, philanthropy, entertainment, and, and, um, nonprofit and think tank and advocacy, like if you do the Venn diagram and right there at the middle, like that's where I that's where I where I sit. And and it and now there's room for it and there's language for it. When it, I didn't know what to call that when I was twenty two years, you know, twenty years old, starting out. But now there's language for it and there's more people in the space. And I think that's powerful. What you said, I think, 
has been so illuminating. Just knowing that you started undergrad doing one thing or thinking you're going to going to do one thing all of a sudden through the grace of like internships and honestly mentorship, even within your family and, and, and people that you are, you know, with on a daily basis, I'm sure your sorority had a lot to do with it as well. So you're getting encouragement and mentoring and support in various ways. And you embark on this really interesting path of like, I'm going to pivot. I'm going to go to Ireland. I'm going to be a black girl in, in Dublin, Ireland on a scholarship with no place to live. You land in New York at this job that you didn't even know what it was going to be. Talk about some of the skills that maybe, again, you don't, you didn't have the language for then being in, I guess, pre-med and what you were learning to do and how that all translated into you being able to navigate this, this new and interesting space of like politics, what are you bringing from those pre-med studies or habits or resources that you probably didn't have the language to say back then? That's a really great question. You know, one thing that I will say, and I don't know if it's a skill, but I will say is that I've always believed that I could right even when I was told that I couldn't so I would say like and I think that's something from foundation of my family and my and, and who I am is just um and the support system and the community that and my that I come from but then I also believe that is a product of going to FAMU I really do you know I you know I went to FAM my first year, we were is 1997. We were freshmen, and that was the year that FAMU was the um, College of the Year. And we were on Time Magazine. We were College of the Year, and President Humphrey, who just recently we lost him, he passed. He did so much work to invest and to recruit the brightest of the brightest of Black kids from all over the country. Like I have friends that were getting. Um, that were getting offers to go to all these Ivy League schools and they were turning them down to come to FAM. I wasn't one of them, but I did, but I was, but I did get to go to FAM, you know? And I reason why I say that, I always thought that I could do, do something and I could, and I could take that leap. And I would say, you know, I remember when, when it was time for me to leave, when I felt that it was time for me to leave to go to, from Chuck Schumer. And, um, and I wanted to go to Washington DC. And I remember telling my boss at the time, I was like, yeah, I'm ready to go to a think tank. I'm ready to go to a think tank. And he told me, he's like, yeah, you don't have enough experience. You don't have enough experience. You, you're not going to be able to do that. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And so about a month later, I told him, I gave him out my two-week notice. I was like, yeah, I'm going to the Center for American Progress, the number one think tank in the country. You know, and I just, it was just that, like, when someone else didn't think that I could, I always knew that I had that skill set and I had that, that belief in myself. And that's happened so many times throughout our lives. And I think that happens. I don't know. I'm not, I've never had the privilege of being the majority. I've never had the privilege of being, you know, um, always things rolled out for us. So I look at it from my lens and from our perspective. And I do believe that is being discounted because I'm a woman and because I'm specifically a black woman. And so I do believe I, so I take some of that to, into account, but I've had bosses that are telling me when I'm, when they, that I'm too ambitious or I shouldn't, and these are women, white women who have been the first of so many things and they'll tell me that I'm too ambitious. So, you know, I look at that, of uh, what helps me navigate those things is that my foundation, my foundation of this undergrad that I went through, my foundation of my family makes me believe that if I 
if I work towards it, if I see it as a vision, as I see it as an opportunity, why not me? So why not go to Ireland? I've never been before. If that's to me, that's number one reason to go because I've never tried it. And I'm smart enough. If I if I'm in the room, if I if I dream of the opportunity, then therefore I can do it. And we have community. Like working with John, like John said, we have community. We don't have to do all of this on our own. So I have family and I have friends and you have people that navigate that you want to be at the table with and you want to work with. I think that's another reason I'm trying I'm not trying to do a HBCU um PSA, but that is but that like that's just something that is really important to me because it gets rid of that like to me we're fighting for one position because we were all fantastic everyone was was great at the table and so you were used to not feeling that you had to be the only one and so that only one mentality that you get into a room you sometimes you find you know you've been there where you're fighting to still be seen or to be heard it's more so of like how can we all win together how can we all use each other's resources and help make sure that if I win, you win. And if I get in the door, I'm pulling you through the door too. And those are just some of the things that I've been been able to benefit from and also been able to pour into others is that's very important to me. And so I think those are the keys, those are the key skills that this is the foundation of why not? And let's not, and if it's scary, so what? Like step step into it and then talk to people about that fear your community that you have, but then still keep going. Um, so you get to the think tank. Mm-hmm. And I would love for you just to share a little bit more about what a think tank does. You've got this new, amazing opportunity that you've clearly worked hard for. You deserve to be there. You get there and knowing that it does X, Y, and Z. And then what were you surprised by being there? Yeah, so I went to I went to the Center for American Progress in 2000 after the 2004 election. And so John Kerry had just lost and Chuck Schumer had won for New York again. And so I was like, you know what, it's time to go. I think I'm ready to try DC. It's like I need to put on try try see what DC looks like. And I was just interested in understanding how programs and things started. You know, like how, what was the other arm of what politics looked like? And think tanks are very essential to them. And they are a place where, where policy is generated, where they are, where they are, a lot of people go to really think about how do we work across strategic partnerships? How do we build programs and platforms? How do we look at critical issues? And a lot of innovation should happen there. And it's just an essential part of government to be able to um, put forth policies and recommendations and ideas. And so we started, I decided to go because um, the Center for American Progress was only two years old at that time. We were pro- it was really really young. Now it's one of the most um, it's one of the largest and most influential progressive think tanks in the country. And we what we decided to do was to what John Podesta, who was President Clinton's chief of staff and then became President Obama's chief of staff, had the insight to create the Center for American Progress. But he also saw that the left. The progressive left was not organizing on college campuses to the to the magnitude that the progressive right was and the right was pumping much more money and i don't even know the numbers now because we're talking 2005 i forget them but the numbers were so much more smaller the amount of money that that we were that the left was not preparing 
for the generations of college students that were going to come out to be progressives. And so we started pump, pumping money into college campuses and pumping tools, helping young people with art, helping film, young filmmakers, helping young writers, helping young activists, helping to start see the progressive of what we see now, what we really thought they were. We show up in so many different colors. We show up in so many different identities. We show up in so many different ways in which we love, which way we organize. And we wanted the what the Center for American Progress wanted to do is to start investing in that at a young age and started giving them the tools to say that, that we see them. And so we created campus progress. And so we put those on college campuses, we put them on HBCUs, we put them on Ivies, we did all of this other type of stuff to start giving college students the tools that they need. So now it's generation progress is still fantastic. I love it. I've been out and I've, and it's, it's great. And it dates me. I've been talking, I was on, I think I was on with the co-founder of Blavity and we were talking and he was like, I remember Generation Progress when I was on campus. I was like, oh, that's so awesome. And it also makes me so sad. <laughs> like, but that's so awesome that he created, you know, someone that co-created, we, we looked at and we invested in like either their writing or things of that sort. So many, there's a New York Times writer now that I look and I was like, God, I remember when he was a college student and he was writing at UCLA and we really, and we, we, we gave him money to continue to write. And that's what we want to do. We saw that there were going to be some dynamic people coming up, some kids. I mean, I call them kids. They're 30 year old now, but we saw there were going to be some young people coming up on the left. And how can we invest in them? How can we give them tools and what they need to drive change? And so, um, you know, it's just, it was, it was ahead of its time. John Podesta is always, you know, talented. I love him. He's a great person for career. And, um, yeah, that's what we did with this, with our, with the think tank and that's where it is now. And so there, that's one of the key organizations that is still going on. And there's been a, and so we created it from scratch. It was in a room probably about the size of my, of this, my office right now, it's about five of us. And we just went ahead and, and launched it and, um, and really tried our best to identify ways that we can start mobilizing and tapping into the tools that we thought young people needed. John and I truly hope that you are enjoying this episode of Black on the Scene, but we're interrupting this episode just to ask a quick favor. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, plus leave us a rating after the show. And now back to the episode. Enjoy. Keisha, you know, I I, you know, I say that we've been friends for so long, but we've only been friends for like a year. I, I feel like our one-year anniversary is coming up very soon. Um, the which, COVID years are like set. This COVID quarantine years are like seven years. That's right? so true. That is that is very true. So I'm gonna say about we can say about good six years. Um, but I just I find that your your career is so fascinating because I just feel like every every new endeavor was something new that you were learning, like it was like a new um, adventure, a new skill set kind of being acquired for you. And I want to talk about like you as an entrepreneur too, like saying, I wanted to start this agency. And then also I think the agency started at a very seemingly interesting time where there was a very cultural shift in terms of social impact really defining itself, right? And really becoming um, more of a mainstream terminology and things like that. So you were able to touch up so many different companies. And I just want to kind of highlight a few of your, your accomplishments in that space with just the things you were doing with Gucci and the Will and Jada Foundation and things like that. So like, let's talk about, let's unpack that a little bit more of like, just the, just the different areas that you, you kind of were touching um, mm -hmm. in, the, in the social impact arena. 
No, I think that's really great. You know, I always had the entrepreneurial spirit, but then you, when you have that spirit, you also have to have the the confidence to jump out on it too. Yes, and so I that's important. Always, that's that's really very important. important. Yes, because it's scary. It mm-hmm. really is scary. It's scary to jump out. It's scary to quit your job or to be pushed. You, you, some people, you either leap or you you're pushed, right? And so um, that's good. Leap or push. That's really yeah. I love that. And so you know, when I was working at the Clinton Foundation, I was working with um, a football player at the time. And I was honestly doing he and he lived in California. And it was an NFL football player. So I was running one of his programs and platforms. And so that was the first time that I was really doing my entrepreneur um, skill, feeding that entrepreneur um, thirst. But I was still I still had that comfort of working at the Clinton Foundation. God bless the Clinton Foundation. Let me at night work in in because he lived in California. So I'd go home and I would work California hours and I would do my job in the day and I got to do that. But I still had that safety net that I didn't have to leave. Right. You know, I didn't, I could still I still have my job. And then time went on and I ended up stopped doing that. But then after I came to I came to L.A. to be the vice president for the Will and Jada Smith Family Foundation, such a great um, course family and so thoughtful and and, and um, really passionate about the issues that they all care about. And so we were looking at um, which is an interesting story how I ended up getting there. But I decided to, after my contract ended at the foundation, I was really looking at like, what do I want to do? I was like, what is this next thing? And I didn't know exactly what it was. And that was an uncomfortable space. Like I, I feel like I've always, I still have my journals from when I was in sixth grade. Like I've always just like planned out like what I want to do. And it's just like this is space of vulnerability of not knowing exactly how to articulate where I wanted to go next. And so, um, but what I knew is I had been entrepreneurial all throughout my my life and in my career. So what I say that is that all of these jobs that I've seen that I've done from the from the think tank to Rockefeller Foundation to the Clinton Foundation to Will and Jada Smith Foundation, those were all entrepreneurial. I never no one had those jobs before me, right? Those that role that I had was created for me. And I helped co-create those roles. Like, you know, so we didn't know what they were looking like. So I had to try to figure out how they fit inside of an organization to a certain degree. You also have to be able to navigate the small pop, the small P politics of who is this? What's her territory? Is she going to take over my, you know, that like, what's this, who's coming in here to like take over our, the, the social capital that we have within our organization. So you just had to learn how to navigate that and how to make quick friends really quickly. I even did that with John really quickly. Like, Hey, you're going to be my friend. So we can all win on this project. You know, like just being able to have that skill set to know, to do that. That's stuff you build as an entrepreneur to, you know, when you're inside of, or you're, you can be an entrepreneur within your organization to a certain degree, right? Within your, when you're in your company, especially when you're building new ideas, new platforms, new programs, new things that aren't new, because most times companies like to keep it safe so they can keep doing what they do to the, the bottom line. But when you're building something that's risky, like, whoa, whoa, who's this new girl? Who's this, who's this new person? What's this new program? So anyway, so I took, so I, when I, when I got past the fear, when I realized that I've been doing this, inside of a company it made it a little bit easier to like do this on my own just a little bit easier and then you realize you can you can 
you you have the support of your family and community. I can't I can't I can't downplay that enough of my family and my community who kept reminding me of that. But you also got to pay bills and get clients and all of those things. So I you know the one great thing is like a lot of my clients ended up coming from relationships that I had before because I had worked with so many people and um, friends would say, hey, you need to talk to Keisha Center. And I would sit down and we would talk about what these people quite frankly wanted to build. And there was more things they wanted to build from scratch. I worked with social capital markets and we looked at SOCAP. And SOCAP looks at how do we shift um, how do we shift money? And we wanted to create a we wanted to create a, a conversation series and around it was called Spectrum. And so we built Spectrum to really look at how do we drive more capital to entrepreneurs of color, to Black people. How do we invest in more entrepreneurs? How do we invest in more um, um, leaders and founders who? money is just not trickling down to them. So we went to Atlanta where you all are and we, we teamed up with Joey Womack, who was a good friend from uh, um, um, from FAMU. And then we also started doing stuff at the gathering spot, love Ryan Wilson. And we looked at how do we start having conversations here where innovation is happening with black people and happening with black technology. And so I brought the kind of the Silicon Valley people to Atlanta and said, here's a space right here. Here's this relationship and how do we do that? And so then, um, and there it's fantastic. It's had so many conversations because, you know, we really need to start shifting the money and founders of color really need to have money um, into that. They're already like, right, like, I just told you how entrepreneurial I was and all of what I did. Like we are entrepreneur by nature. And that's who we are. And so we need to see that. And, and white dollars need to see that and understand it's just, it, was, it might look different than what, they, than what they're used to. So we created something, we created Spectrum to be able to do that. And that's probably about three, three years old now. But then also Gucci, um, Antoine Phillips, who is the vice president of culture at Gucci, has now become such a great friend. And um, Joshua Murphy, who was my, who worked with me at, um, the Rockefeller Foundation was one of my on my team, one of my deputies, and I actually poached Josh from the Center for American Progress, and I had him come to the Rockefeller Foundation with me. And so when I left Rockefeller Foundation, I went to Will and Jada. He was still at Rockefeller, and then he took the leap, and he left and started doing his own business. So he um, decided to we started talking about Gucci contract and how we can, um, you know, what happened with Gucci with the um, they really wanted to talk to black people who have been doing work in this space to help them understand how they need to rethink the world, re rethink their connection with the with the black community, really invest in the black community, understand what they did. And I, and you know, Josh and Antoine, it was just so great the work they're doing from Gucci Changemakers. So we were part of that team to help create, help build Gucci Changemakers initiative. Um, the president of Gucci sat down and really listened. Like that's how change stop, starts. You know, we see that we always want to, we do definitely want to look and hold companies accountable, but you also, when you have someone at the highest level having the ear to say, here's what we did, how can we drive this change? And so how do you do it from the bottom up, right? Create programs and platforms and start creating opportunities for young people um, from internships and, and programs. It's going to take about 20 years, 20, 30 years for that intern to become a me, become a y'all and become an Antoine and become, you know, all of those individuals. But you start planting that seed so it can come from the bottom up. But then also you want your CEOs to have to understand. You start having those conversations come from top down as well, too. And and Gucci has been doing that. And and the change that Antoine is leading and that we did with Gucci Changemakers was absolutely fantastic, you know. And 
we were able to have some really great uh, events around Essence Fest and and um, in New Orleans and looking at how do we work with these young people and start really trying to diversify the fashion industry and start giving them platforms and and um, opportunities. And then my third client that when I was with my with my um, well another and my third client ended up being Monkey Paw. And that's how I ended up getting Monkey Paw. Someone was like, you need to talk to Keisha. Monkey Paw really wanted to do some work around their content. Like, how do we start having conversations? Because our content is so rich and so talented. So it's been so fantastic. And then I ended up working with them. And so now that's where we are now. We've, we've built, we've, I think we're building some really great stuff. And they and they are, when I'm talking to people, I was like, it's in our DNA. You know, it's already in the, it's in the content we create. It's in the people who we are at monkey paw so now it only makes sense that it continues to um it continues to have a ripple effect after this the credits go up right and we continue to engage and we continue to build relationships and, and and mobilize people around what they just had what they what they just saw i can't like every time i've left the movie sometimes we go and sit out and we talk like it's just all of us just sitting there like oh wait, wait a minute okay so what happened here what's this mean and so like no why not so let's be intentional in creating those spaces to be able to get things to get the conversation going and and to to talk about the culture and talk about what we're doing so i mean i just feel so so lucky to be able to 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 drive that so that's how my entrepreneur that's how I, that my company did and it, it had really great clients like gucci monkey paw so so cap and for your first time leaping but they were all relationships like i don't want to minimize that those are all people that i had worked with throughout my career at some point that that reached out to me and so i didn't even do i didn't market i didn't put up a thing i didn't really do i just started telling people hey i'm going to start having these conversations and um and recognizing that that's something that I have been doing throughout my entire career. Keisha, girl, you have said so much right now that I borderline don't even know what I want to dive into next. John and I are in chat like, okay, we need to ask this. We need to ask that. We can't keep her all day. So there's something that is so just A, really inspiring and illuminating about what you said that we as Black people have always been entrepreneurial because we have to be, even in corporate environments, even the side hustling that so many of us do. Um, let's talk about how you navigated being intrapreneurial within a company as a Black woman. What are some of those challenges that you overcame, uh, that you continue to overcome, and how did you navigate being this powerful black woman in these companies with these great ideas trying to drive change that's a great and that thank you for entrepreneurial because that is the right language let me i get that right um that's a really great question i would say life and career is always a journey and i'm always navigating i'm always learning and always trying to be better today than i was yesterday right so i don't have this figured out <laughs> and i and i'm and i'm hoping that i'm showing up a little bit wiser than i did before and each day and john knows this because i've had to lend had to get john's ear some days i really do i self-assess I, I mean there is i'm big on self-assessment i'm like okay how did I show up to this conversation? How did I, was I my full self? You know, was I, did I take that 
was that does that take stuff too personal you know how do i really how do i show up and so that's something that i'm always on this journey to to a be a good team player I'll, a be just a good person be a good Keisha center like i want people to walk away and have great experiences and so i would say being so i, I preface all that to say what i have learned is um it is about trying to to figure out how to continue to be um the best version of you and be and be confident in that and i say that because you are going to be hopefully it's not as much anymore but it still is like i have been the only so many times right so i've been the only black woman the only black person the only woman or the only young person and sometimes I've been all of those, right? You know, the, the youngest only black woman per person, you know, all of those at that time. And it can be a lonely, it can be a lonely space and it can be a space that um, puts you sometimes on the defense, if I'm honest, like, you you know, you never know, you're always trying to figure out how to navigate and what to do and, and, and who to talk to and where to find safety and where to find comfort to have conversations. And then quite frankly, I would also say is another place that makes it really unique. Some of the places that I've spate, that I've navigated um, have been at the highest level. So whether I'm in politics, whether I'm at the Rockefeller Foundation, and all of that's a lot of discretion too. So there's things that I gotta take to, you know, you take them to the grave. <laughs> you know, there's things you can't say. And so, you know, who do you talk to? What do you do? How do you navigate those spaces? So I think that um, one of the key things that I have come to learn on this journey is to be able to find those connections and find those people that have like experiences and to find community and build those relationships so when you're going through this that help people that can help you keep you accountable and to be able to um understand where you're where, what you're going through and to be able to help you gather gather yourself and ground yourself and i say that because it has not been easy like one of the key things that i have learned now that i take time to reflect it's like now we have language for social impacts right now we and i love that but there was at the beginning 10 20 years we didn't have language for that and so what we would be is that i was creating the space that did not make money for the company it was not revenue generating and so a lot of things and even in and don't get it twisted in nonprofits you need to be revenue you need to be doing something that is they should be thought of as businesses like you want to be able to generate revenue so you can stay so you can pay your people so you can do the work so you can give out funds you know you have to think through that mindset and so at that point to be able to not even know at that in my 20s to have to articulate like if you do good for your company if your company does good it makes your audiences your constituencies your consumers feel like you are a company that cares about issues and cares about the work that you do then that's also going to drive revenue that's going to make people want to be able to be more to buy more of your products it's going to make people want to come to see your show they're going to make you want to support you more and i didn't have that language then but then being able to develop that language and stick to it and to gather it and to be able to go on that journey so now we understand companies understand that doing good makes sense and it's good for the bottom line but we didn't think that so many times so i would say my journey has been so many times i remember when my boss like i love what you're doing but you're not making us no money so 
keep it up. Like, you know, and like still trying to fight for it. Be like, we care about the kids. We care about this, you know, but it is going to make us be good. And I will say one of the things that proves the point to me is that well, everything that happened with the Trump election and, um, you know, the Clinton Global Initiative was shut down. But I created Clinton Global Initiative University in 2020, no, in 2011. And one thing that is that they have kept, they've kept Clinton Global Initiative University. And that was not the money generator, right? You know, they had to get rid of Clinton Global Initiative, um, Clinton Global Initiative. And it was such a fantastic program. Franklin Clinton to me was, you know, and a, a head of, of, as always, very smart thinking about social enterprises and the intersection that business and social good has to do. But Clinton Global Initiative University, we created that in 20, 2011 um, on, a, on a card table in, a, in, some, in the corner of someone's office to really look at how do we do on a global scale of helping young people understand the, the power they have to become social entrepreneurs. That's still standing. And that was not a money generator because now we see that the stuff like that's important. So I just think being able to understand and navigate the small P and to be able to understand that even if your company, even if what you're doing and what you're creating is not necessarily directly related to sales, but how it's value add to the company and value add to the overall bigger picture of the company, being able to gather that language and understand it and articulate and advocate for even when you when you're being pushed against. It's just something that I've had to deal to be able to develop the tools and confident. And I didn't always have that. It felt it felt defensive. It felt scary. It felt like I was being, you know, pushed to the side like you're the little charity thing. But now we see, now we understand, especially after 2020. Like now we're like, oh well, we need to really care about everyone. We see how important this is. What is your company doing? All of that. And there's some that have been doing this since the beginning. There's some people who have been doing this since the beginning. And there are people who can help organizations really figure out if they're for it or if it's just for show. Didi, did I answer your question? Not only did you answer my question, I have like five more teed up. But John is like, I'd like to get a word in edgewise to talk to my friend. This is not the Didi and Keisha show, but it could be. No. <laughs> Didi, calm down. <laughs> no, but Keisha, you said something that really struck with me. Like, uh, and, and you're, you said a lot of things, actually. But you, you mentioned about always striving to be better today than you were yesterday. And I wanted, I, I, that really connected with me because that's something that I personally challenge myself to do as well and, and then kind of been trying to figure out what are those tangible ways of me doing that and holding myself accountable for that right so like I wanted to like actually like what are the methods you use or did you adopt for your own life to really create that your your best self every day like do you and also like adding in a layer of mental health as well like how you how are you protecting your mental health within that within your best self as well is kind of what I wanted to unpack a little bit I love that you said that because I was, I just didn't want to forget. I was like, I put number one therapy. I'm an advocate for therapy. I love it. If you don't have yourself a good therapist, go get one. Get a good one. I mean, a good one. Um, and I really do love it. I've always said, I tell my friends, I was like, there's more room on the outside than the inside. Like, get it out. <laughs> Talk to someone that can help you navigate that. Get it out. There's more room outside. And so I really... Um, I believe in that. I also 
am still practicing. It's such a practice. I really do practice meditation and trying to like center myself. Even before I got on with you all today, I centered myself. I did a really great. There's an app that I do like is um, Liberate. It's founded by a black man that did, um, and I'm blanking. I'm so mad that I'm blanking on his name. I'm gonna try to look it up really quickly. But it's a it's a um, it's a meditation app, and I had him speak on a panel for me, and this liberate meditation app for the black experience, and it's and he created it because he felt like black people needed uh, to hear other black people help him navigate and and meditate. And I'm blanking that his that I'm on his name, and I'm hurt. I'm so oh Julio Rivera. Yes, he spoke on a panel. He's fantastic. And he created this app and I listened to him and the, the practitioners that walk us through um, the guided meditations. Love that. Um, and then the other thing that I, I'm, I'm really intentional about too, and it's hard. I, you know, I want my I want my friends and my family to hold me accountable sometimes. So I ask questions, I'm like, you know, how does this sound? You know, how did this sound? How did this, how did this, what What are some thoughts of what I could have done differently? But even though I hear those other voices, I spend time with myself to understand, to, because, to, you know, at the end of the day, you got to go with your gut and trusting your gut and what you're going to do, no matter whatever other people say. But, you know, you just do want your trusted, safe community to help hold you accountable. And then the overall, I'm just super spiritual and my relationship with God, my walk with God is also a journey. So those are things that I do that, that truly to me are helping me each day show up to be a better person. I wanna be a better friend. I wanna be a better friend to myself. I wanna be a better coworker, you know, just all of those type of things. And um, that's just really, that's important to me. And I think 2020 has helped us um, understand the importance of mental health. I really do. I feel like nobody was, nobody was safe. Everybody was touched in some form or fashion um, of 2020. So that if there's anything that we can say that's good about it is that we're normalizing that it is okay not to be okay sometimes and that you need support and help and guidance to like just just to, just to navigate life and that's okay that you are what are the one or two things you would say to the black on the scene audience who is looking for a possible career pivot or they're interested in embarking on just anything that's new or di or being entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, what is the advice that you would give them uh, two to three things? Great, great question. Okay, so I am gonna say do it, but what I am, what I would tell myself now is do it with a strategy, <laughs> do whatever, like whatever you're thinking, write that thing down, plan it, figure out what it is, get, get, make sure you have, um, talk to people, figure out, get accountants, all of that. I, I, what I would have done differently would <laughs> elite would have been just to set up things, to set up things to be like, okay, so how much do I need to plan out for here? Here's what the strategy is of understanding what my worth is and not worth. That's a, that's not the right, but what, what, uh, what my asking price is like, just to know numbers that match my passion. <laughs> and that's what I was like, anybody was thinking about being an entrepreneur, that's something that I would definitely do. Have conversations. We should not be scared to talk to people to tell our dreams because 
because I think some people are a little scared. Like, oh, someone's going to take my idea. Someone's going to do it. Talk to it because you never know who they might know, who they can connect you to, who they can help you. And so I've just come, I've started loosening my, loosening the fear around sharing and being vulnerable around that because somebody might open a door that opens a door that opens a door, right? And so one of the key things that I would do if you want to step out and be an entrepreneur, which I, I fundamentally believe step, do it, take that leap. Like I said, you can, you can leap or you can be pushed. 2020 might've pushed a lot. I, I've seen a lot of people been pushed and they've been pushed into that dream. But then there's also some great stuff to make you sure you know that you have your, the finance part of it right, because we want you to soar. We want you to do great and have the money together. And that's really important to me, especially as I'm, this is my brain where I look at like the money that ca and the capital that needs to flow to our entrepreneurs. So I can't help but think through that lens as well. But then if you're also looking for a career change, and you're within an institution within a company i say yes to that and i and i and one of the key things that i did a long time ago when i was in my 20s whoever's bio like what you all are doing right now now this dates me but like listen to the podcast listen to black on the scene on different career advice on how you want to who you want to be and how you want to navigate it but <laughs> but if i was young when i was younger because we didn't i didn't have this type of access, the access that we have now. I would print out people's bios and I would hang them up all around my desk. And I was like, and I would put a little scripture or a little positive saying like, I wanna meet so-and-so. And I, and the funny thing, the way that life worked, not only have I met some of those people, I actually work with them now. And I, and I tell them, I was like, I'm not a stalker, but when I was 20, I used to like print your bio out when you were at whatever and I hung it up and I was like, I'm going to meet you one day and we're going to figure I want to work with you. And so that has happened. Every one of those people's bios who I printed out four years in advance, I ended up meeting them somehow, sometime. And, you know, I say just identify what that is and how you want to get there. And you might not need to figure out how you want to be the end, but like the small steps that, that can get, what's the next step that gets you there and start planning and start putting those down on paper. I'm big on writing. If you all could see my room, like my little office, I got all types of things posted up <laughs> because I'm big on putting it down of like, how do you, how do you take the small steps to get to where you, where you want to go? And I promise the universe ends up leading you in that in that direction so those are my two thoughts entrepreneurial yes step well overall yes step and do it for both if you're navigating a change internally within your organization or a career change but if you want to do entrepreneurial set it yes step but also talk to the finance figure out that talk to someone so you can figure out how to set yourself up best and then also whoever like if you want to meet john Gist, email him and hit them up on LinkedIn, talk to, you know, really, you will be amazed how many people will talk to people to help them to navigate. Um, I do it. I just got a cold email the other day, which was really kind. And I'm going to reach back out to them just to see how I can lend some sort of support. And I think more people are willing to do that than not. Keisha, 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 girl, <laughs> you over here preaching, honey, preaching. <laughs> I love it. I, I love it. Thank you so much. Like, this is, this is, amazing and I, I like I love when I'm having these conversations and I have like my own personal aha moment of like learning something and something hitting me in a way and you definitely did that for me so thank you so oh, much and thank you for, for me. of course so we're, we're, we're wrapping up but we wanted to talk about our love letter right and black on the scene is 
Dee Dee and I's love letter to Black entertainment. And we really wanted to be intentional about this podcast because we really wanted to just shine a light, right? On Black entertainment, the behind the scene players, the films, the movies, the televisions, just things that we feel like are very important to know about. And so we created Black on the Scene because representation matters and it's important to see ourselves. It's important for people to know your story, Keisha. It's important for people to know that they can pivot in their careers. They can do different things. They don't have to stop and focus on one thing. So this season for season two is so important for us because we're just highlighting so many amazingly Black talent. And so I'll say all that to say that I wanted to give you the opportunity to share what your love letter is to Black entertainment or to politics or to impact, what is your love letter to those industries? Oh, oh, that's so powerful. Like I'm getting a little, okay, a little, my hair, my arm, the hairs on my arm are standing up. You know, my, my love letter to us is that we sh I really want us to continue to walk in, in our truth and in who we are and all of the beauty of who we are. And I feel like right now, you know, everyone is talking about, especially in the entertainment, like we're having this, we're having this moment, we're seeing more of ourselves. And I really, I hope it's not a moment. I think it is, I think it is a change. It is the new, it is, it is what's becoming normal. It is going, it is where we are in the direction that we're having. There's so much voice and so much power that we're having, and it is going to have an effect across industry. That's the one thing I know. I know that the entertainment and the media and, and industry influences, it influences other places and it's going to shift and change. So I say step into this with love, with, with fearlessly, fearlessly as possible with whatever that idea is dream big and execute it and step into it because now is is that is the moment to do this in this in this time that we're having in this shift that we have i am just so i am thankful like I, the other day i was about to just post like i'm just so excited to be black and i love y'all and that's it like that it really is like every single day i think about it i was like well you can kill us a thousand times i'm gonna come back i'm gonna come back black every single time I'm a bet on us I'm a bet on black I'm a I'm a bet on us and I fundamentally believe that we have these tools we have the opportunity we've always been creative we've always been powerful we've always been resilient and so now when we have when the doors are being open when they're being open where some of us are kicking it open some of us are getting in and we're pulling other people in just like what you all are doing you are creating and you're pulling other people in like that's that is that is what we are supposed to be doing and i'm just so excited for us and that's my love love letter to us i believe that's a great that's a hard question on this spot but i hope i captured of the just the enthusiasm and the the love that i have for where we are and where we're going and that's a, drop drops <laughs> mic drops mic <laughs> that's it thank you that's 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 what we were looking for it's 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 heartfelt it's passionate and it's honest. And that is that is your love letter. And we love it. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. This is such it's a great so conversation. Great. Wow, Didi. Learning about Keisha Center's journey was so inspiring. She always believed that she could, even when she was told that she couldn't. From a small town Southern upbringing in Kentucky, 
graduating from FAMU, an unexpected master's degree in Ireland, to navigating her career in politics, to then pivoting to entertainment. Keisha is a true testament of charting your own course. Also, John, Keisha sharing her experiences with regard to taking a leap or maybe sometimes even being pushed into new spaces really lit me up. I mean, what it feels like to embrace the uncomfortable. She is a woman who's always trying to be better today than yesterday. And she is doing that while living her purpose plus showing up for our people throughout her career. Keisha, we thank you for joining us and thanks to our Black on the Scene community. Please remember to subscribe, leave us a rating and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Black on the Scene. That's B-O-K on the S-C-E-N-E.